Good morning, everyone. So you ever uh, experienced, like, false advertising? Something that just didn't play out the way you thought it would based on what it looked like? I mean, we could probably go around the room and it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I mean, uh, uh, basically any of those roadside, like, world's largest prairie dog signs, right? And you get there, and it's like this giant concrete thing. I mean, those are just horrible, right? Or, or something you thought uh, it was going to be the greatest activity you've ever done, and then you get there, well, that really wasn't very fun. Or even like fast food advertisements that look really awesome, and then you get there, it's this squished like burger thing, you know? Uh, one that I fell trapped to as a kid, and this probably plays out, do they still have comic books? Yeah? Do they still sell things at the back of the comic book? Like stupid stuff? You know, I remember buying sea monkeys. Anybody else buy sea monkeys? Nobody was a sucker enough to buy sea monkeys. So, so the little ad for sea monkeys were like this little, this little, you know, bowl of water, like a fish tank, and, and a family of little sea monkeys, and dad reading the paper, and the kids playing around, and the mother doing things. Like, this is awesome. They're wearing clothes. It was sea monkeys, and then I ordered them, and sea monkeys are basically a little package of brine shrimp. Right? And you put them in a bowl, and they, they kind of swim in this murky stuff. Those are the sea monkeys. It was not what I it was portrayed to be. Or, or, or I was a kid, uh, I did this as a kid, I must have been very gullible. I, I ordered the official bat belt for the Batman show. This is the old time Batman show. Da 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 Batman, that show. And, and, you know, it looked amazing. If you wear this and the mask, you are Batman. And really it was just this horrible plastic thing, right? And the, the batarang when you threw it did not come back. It, it just, it was just this horrible thing. I mean, I got suckered into buying this thing that promised me one thing, and it never actually came to pass what it was. And, and we're all easily caught up in those things. Things can look incredibly beautiful on one side, and then you get in the middle of it, and it's like, this, this is disappointing. This isn't what I was told it would be. Well, we've been going through the book of Mark, and we're, we're coming to a place uh, today where um, there's, there's false advertising going on. And things are not the way they are said they are. And Jesus is pointing out kind of the, the hypocrisy of that moment. And, and we're in chapter 11 of the book of Mark. We've been working our way whole way through the book. And we started talking last week that the way Mark is writing, we really need to get the picture of Jesus resolutely heading towards Jerusalem. See this playing out. And, and we're actually going to cover the entire 11th chapter today. All right, the first part of the chapter we aren't doing specifically. It's, it's the, the triumphal entry. It's Palm Sunday. It's the peace when Jesus comes and, and, and people, once again, their vision of what a Messiah is, of what a conquering hero is, is political and, and military. And, and people, enough people have clamored to learn from Jesus. They know something is going on. And so when he enters the city, there is this clamor. There is this parade. There is this sense that this must be the one by a group of people. And they, they celebrate him, but he's, he's not riding in majestically. He, he's riding in on a donkey, right? And, and he, he's not pulling in his, his trophies of military victory, he's, he's coming in with some stragglers following him, right? And, and so they're, they're cheering him on, thinking he's one thing, but he's not that thing, right? So that, that, that took place on, on Palm Sunday, what's called the triumphal entry. And, and maybe the hope was of those who were following Jesus that, that maybe this teaching he's given that he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be ridiculed and mocked and spit on and killed. Maybe that's not really what's going to happen because he came in and it, it, was, it was exciting. It was positive. But then we move on to the passage that happens today. And let me just read the passage for you. It says, starting in, in verse 12 of chapter 11, it says, The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. 
Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him before, before they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people. For everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. A very well-known encounter, right? Jesus in the temple turning over tables and, and chasing away the buyers and sellers and, and stopping people from kind of doing business as usual, right? And, and I want to say right up front that I think in general we have missed the point of this passage. In fact, it's usually headlined in our Bibles as Jesus cleanses the temple or Jesus clears the temple and giving this impression that Jesus was trying to reform or clean something that was wrong and, and, and restore it. Right? We're going to reform this. This isn't what it was meant for. So we're, and the sense being like this. Jesus walks into the temple and, and he was so ticked off to see this commercialism going on that, that he just turned over the tables and stopped them from buying and selling. Right? And, and that's kind of the, the picture we've always gotten. It was this idea of, well, you've made this consumer or you've, you've made this a business. And, but there, there are hints in this passage and this is a, a complex passage. There are hints in this passage and in the surrounding context and in the Bible passages that Jesus quotes that really tell us that wasn't exactly what was going on. For one thing, in, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see where Jesus predicts that the temple is going to be destroyed in just, just a few years. And, and why would you, and he doesn't have any qualms in saying that, right? It's going to be destroyed and and then he talks about also himself, right, being raised again. He'll be restored. Qualm saying it's going to be destroyed. So why would you cleanse and reform and fix something that's going to be destroyed, first of all? But in the middle of it, he makes this statement in this passage. It says, it, he taught them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations? He's, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. And then he says, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he's quoting there from a passage in Jeremiah chapter 7. 
And I think for us to best grasp what Jesus is talking about here, we need to understand that passage a little bit in Jeremiah chapter 7. So we're going to read through that passage, all right? It's a little bit lengthy. Uh, We have the words here. They're a little bit small because I kind of sprung this on the uh, video guy this morning. It says, uh, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Remember, Jeremiah is a prophet of God, speaking on behalf of God to his people. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. So Jeremiah is speaking. Hear the word of the Lord. All you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, and and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? There's that quote he has. But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your fathers. I will thrust you from my presence just as I did all your brothers and the people of Ephraim. What's a den of robbers? I mean, we could open it up for discussion if we want. But a den of robbers. I mean, we, we think of things like the, the hole-in-the-wall gang. The, in, in literally here, a cave of thieves, a cave of robbers. The, a den of thieves, a den of robbers is not where people commit their crime. It's where they go hide out after they've done it. It's where you feel safe. So like the hole in the wall gang, they're out marauding and committing crimes, but they come back to the hideout. They come back to the den of thieves. That's where they can feel safe, right? That's where they can retreat from all their illegal activity. So so when Jesus says, quoting Jeremiah, that you have turned what's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, you've turned it into a den of robbers. He's saying, you're out living your life however you want, completely outside of the realm of what God wants you to do, and then you come to this place and say, oh, we're safe. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We're safe here. Jesus isn't condemning them for this commercial activity that's going on in this place, although some of it was oppressive. He's saying you're living your life how you want, and you think somehow you can escape here and come into this place and say, this is the temple of the Lord, we're good. He's saying, how dare you treat this place that way? That that, that was not the way it was intended. It was intended to be a house of prayer for all nations. Now, we have to understand this context going on here in a great way. See, the temple was not just a church building. 
This was an enormous center of the city in Jerusalem. This area just referenced here was probably like the size of 10 football fields. It was gigantic. And it wasn't just the religious center. It was this huge edifice. It was this giant, powerful-looking space that was kind of a combination of, of uh, the Capitol building, Wall Street, um, a giant church, and um, the Federal Reserve all rolled into one, and business and economic employment. Uh, this was the place for Jews and Gentiles alike to come and transact business. This is, a, this is where life happened. This was the center of it all. The court system and everything was wrapped up in this place. We really don't have anything comparable. And so when Jesus comes in and sees this, what's interesting in the passage we skipped about the triumphal entry, the Palm Sunday passage, at the end of that, he came in to all the, the throngs and the singing of people, and it says, then he went to the temple and looked around, but it was late, so they left and went to Bethany, which was kind of a home base when they were in the Jerusalem area. It's a little suburb outside of Jerusalem. So, so he came and he looked around. It said he looked around to see at the temple. When it says it was late, probably doesn't mean it was really like too late to do anything, but probably past the time of the normal daily activities. And so he came back the next day. Now, now, one of the things we really have to grasp to see that when Jesus is talking about what's going on with the temple, when he comes in and it says he's, he stops the buyers and sellers, he's chasing them out, he overturns the tables, he stops people from, from carrying things across the temple, he was basically stopping the normal activity of the temple. And what's interesting is the stuff that was going on in that temple at that time was basically in accord with the law of Moses on how you would come to the temple and how you would present sacrifices and how you would seek forgiveness. The money changers, that was, that was something that was declared within the law. Because you wanted to give your daily account, your daily offering to God, which accounted and sought forgiveness for sins, but you needed to give the right kind of money. Most of the, the coins that they had in their day-to-day life had a picture of a Roman Caesar or a Roman god on it. You, you can't give that as your offering, and so you exchange that for the right kind of coin. And so there were people who do that, and the law allowed that they could make a little profit. They actually took that to extremes. But, but in order for me to do what the law said, I have to take this coin and exchange it for this one, then I can give this as an offering. If I've come a long distance from my town to Jerusalem to make an animal sacrifice, once again to atone for sin, to seek forgiveness, to do the things that that make me good in the sight of God, I have to sacrifice the right kind of animal. And and talks about doves here. Doves were the sacrifice for people who were poor. They couldn't afford much else. And they they would buy a dove and they would sacrifice. This is what they were asked to do. But, but, But Jesus stopped that activity for at least a moment turning over those tables, turning over the money tables, sending people out of the temple. But but, but they were doing what they were supposed to do. Jesus is making a statement about the temple. He's basically saying that that, that the temple is not acting in the way it was intended to, and for that there's something taking its place, and and we know from the story that Jesus is taking the place of the temple. And, And the glory days of the temple are about to be gone. One of the other reasons we know that this is the context of this passage is what happens right before it and right after it, and that's what we call the story of the fig tree. See, it says when Jesus, right, they had come to Jerusalem after the, the parade, right, they, they went back to Bethany. The next morning it says they're hungry, they're on their way back to Jerusalem, and we know they're going back because Jesus is now going to go to the temple when all the activity is going on. 
to, to give this incredible object lesson that the old way of the temple is gone and the new way of Jesus is here. And, and they're on their way, and he and it says he sees a distance. He's hungry. He sees a fig tree. And he walks up to it, and, and the fig tree is all leaf and no figs. And so he cursed the tree. And said, so no one will ever eat figs from you again. And, and our good 21st century mindset says, well, that's not fair. The passage says it wasn't the season for figs. So it's not the tree's fault it didn't have figs. It wasn't the right time of year for figs. And that's true, but a good clue in this passage again is that when it says it's not the season or not the time for figs, that was not a chronological or biological term or botanical term. As in the time of the year, like chronos time, chronology, calendar time. This was the word kairos in group, which is a a moment, a season of life. And, And we're talking about Kingdom time. This is a kingdom of God statement, it, not a calendar statement. It is not the time for figs. It's no longer the time for the temple. And after this story, it says they were, they were leaving. The next day, they saw this tree, this fig tree that Jesus cursed withered from the roots, meaning absolute destruction. So we have this story of the temple and what Jesus is saying and doing in the temple, sandwiched by the story of a fig tree has no fruit. It's all leaf. It's all show. It's false advertising. That's what's going on with the temple. Things are changing. The timing in the kingdom, what's next in the kingdom, has absolutely changed and transformed People had taken what God intended to be a house of prayer for all nations and turned it into basically this nationalistic symbol that was exclusive of everybody else. This area where this story takes place is today referred to as the the court of the Gentiles. Back then it wasn't referred to that way. And and people would look at that and say, well, that's the place the Gentiles could come and worship. But in reality, that was a statement that says you can't go any further. It was a statement of shutting out people. And the temple had become that. It had become this place that they believed absolutely because of the way the temple was built. You've probably all heard the stories of these outer courts that worked their way to this very internal place they called the Holy of Holies, right? That only the high priest could go there certain times, right? To atone for the sins of all the people. And that was a system God set up. But the problem is that people started to see that as literally that is the place God dwells. Because if that's where God dwells, almost like this radioactive power in the middle of this huge building, right? You can't go in there because things could happen. And God, God set that up. But he wasn't limiting himself to that place. But, but, but that's what the people saw. That's why they could do whatever they wanted. But if they're God's people, they could come into this place and go, we're safe. If we do the right things and follow the right steps and worship the right way and offer the right sacrifice, we're safe here. Why? Because God is in that place in the middle of it. And that protects us from everything else. We're safe. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And they missed the point. They they turned this into a place they could come to retreat and say, we're safe. But but, but they didn't get it. And so because they saw the center of this is where God was, that, that impacted everything else about their life. The story then moves on, and it's fascinating because they've left. It said the chief priest started to, they heard all this, right? And that would make them upset. If they heard this person stopping the way things work in this temple, that's disconcerting and it's threatening to them. Why? Because, just think about it, put yourself in their shoes. If, 
if the exchange of money to make the right sacrifice is no longer necessary, if that ceases, then my livelihood is gone. There, there's no point for what I do. If we no longer have to sacrifice animals to, to appease things and to seek the right um, redemption through God, then, then our whole way of life has changed. If we can't even, if we can't carry things in and out across the temple court, then, then all religious activity ceases. So, so what's the point? This guy continues to mess with our way of life and what we believe and what we hold dear and how we accomplish things and the power and authority we have in this system. And he, he's threatening that. So it just keeps boiling up in them. We have to find a way to get rid of them. And it says all the crowd was amazed at his teaching. And once again, we've seen this word amazed several times in the book of Mark. And, and this is not a, yeah, Jesus, you're fixing the system. It's amazed as in they were stupefied. The, the people were listening to this because the same thing. If, if we can't buy this coin to exchange for this, if we can't buy this animal to sacrifice, how, how do we make things right with God? This is what we know. This is what we know God asked for. And if you're, if you're changing that, then you, you probably don't even believe in this whole system at all. And this is, this, is, this is messing with their whole way of seeing life and who God is and how things play out. And, and it's, it's amazing. Not because they go, wow, but because they do. What does this mean? What does this do to us? And it says they went out of the city... Jesus and his disciples, and once again saw that, saw that fig tree withered from the roots. Absolute destruction. Any of us who have weeded our lawns or our gardens know you can't just cut the things off at ground level. I have to keep growing. To get rid of a weed, you have to kill it completely. This, this tree, this fig tree that had beautiful leaves was nothing. And Jesus wants us to understand the temple. And the whole way and system they understood, that's, that's no more. It's going to be destroyed completely at its roots. Jesus, Peter says, hey, Rabbi, look, the, the fig tree you cursed is withered. And Jesus says, have faith in God. So they tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. This is an interesting passage because I think we, we've... We've overgeneralized that statement to be, if you just believe something strong enough and pray it, God has to do it. And, and we make this like this big mountain, right? And I think the important thing in this passage is Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, he's very specific, this mountain, and I believe he's talking about Mount Zion, the mount of the temple, where, where the temple is. In other words, you can say to this mountain, the place that you have always heard is where God literally dwells. That's where power happens and prayer happens and things happen. You could say to that mountain right there, he cast in the sea. And it will be done. Because why? That whole system is not what it's about anymore. And then he says, therefore. In other words, the point wasn't praying that mountains move. The point was, therefore, whatever you ask for in prayer, whatever you ask for, believe, pray in confidence, pray, pray in receptivity. You don't have to go to that place where you think God's power dwells. God's power is everywhere his people are. God's power is everywhere the name of Jesus is preached. It is no longer confined to that little place. It never was, but that's what you thought. It's unleashed. It's all changing. All the rules have changed. And Jesus is saying, you can pray. 
God will do things. It's not about a special moment to go into this little center place. And we know this amazing picture when Jesus died on the cross. It talks about this place where the skies went dark. And then this veil, this heavy curtain that separated most of the temple from that holy of holy place was, was ripped from top to bottom. Irreparably destroyed. It's all the same image. The fig tree withered from the roots. What's going to happen to the temple? Jesus knocking on the table, t- table saying, this isn't the way it works anymore. He's really saying, I'm the temple. And if we really stop and think about it, he's been living as the temple for, for this whole book of Mark. He, he's forgiven sins. Only the temple and the priest can do that. He, he's healed people. He's, he's declared that people can be welcomed into society again who are, who are lepers and people under diseases. No, only the temple can do that. He, he's turned over the money changers table where people had to purchase atonement. And, and we know in a few weeks at the, at the Last Supper, it's going to be, no, he's established a new table where forgiveness and atonement is free. He, he shed his blood on a cross. He's the temple. We don't have to have the animals shed blood anymore. He's lived as the temple. And he keeps living as the temple. Why? Because the old way of the temple is gone. It's withered at the roots. It's going to be utterly destroyed. Why? Because Jesus is the amazing, good, and powerful, and gracious new way. This is not a story about Jesus getting ticked off and people selling things at church. This is a story. This is a, a lived out object lesson that say everything you've put your hope in, you did it wrong. It was intended to be a house of prayer for all nations. It, it was intended to be, right? God called his people through Abraham. Through you, I'll raise up a people, and through them, all the world will be blessed. That was the goal, but, but the people took this promise, and, and what was meant to happen through the temple house of prayer for all nations, but they made it this exclusive place that drew a line between who was in and who was out. We're God's chosen people. You're not. You can come this far. And I would think that whole mindset just ripped Jesus apart because it was based on ethnicity and, and gender. Women can go this far. Gentiles can go this far. Only the special ones here. It's like, are you kidding me? This was intended as a house of prayer for all people. This was intended to bless the whole world and you've used it a way to keep people out. And so Jesus, when they're standing outside this town and they see this fig tree that used to be luscious in its leaf with no fruit, he's, he's telling them that that's what this temple is. It looks, it looks like it just screams out, God. And Jesus is saying it's powerless and it's. Now this story, we could, we could easily just leave it in history. Because it was an amazing moment in time. Right? It, it, it threatened all the powers that be. It threatened those that had their livelihood in this system. It threatened those who, who had power through it and were able to, to build up great wealth through this process, which Jesus hated too. Because it wasn't the way it was intended. And we can leave it back there and say it was this great turning point, and it was, but, but we would be remiss if we don't look at this passage and look at our own lives and look at our own church and say, are we known more by our leaves than our fruit? And, and, and what does that mean? 
and how does that play out? Do we, we go through the right motions? We say the right things? We talk about the right things? We're against the wrong things? We, and, and people know that. We stand out and say, wow, they're, they're some strong people. They know Jesus. But, but is there actually fruit in life? Or is it just leaf? Is it, is it false advertising? Thinking that we can do whatever we want, live however we want, leaving God out of the picture, but by gum on Sundays or when I listen to the right radio station, I'm saying this is the temple of the Lord and I'm safe. Now mark my word, I'm not saying we, we don't live in that glorious place of God's unending forgiveness that is new every day. That, that, we hang on to that. But, but what are our hearts geared toward? What are we striving for? What are we focusing for? Is it to the point where we're really completely numb to how we express Jesus day to day and then come together and we do the right things so everything's fine? See, the reality is, is that a lot of leaves hinder fruit growing. I mean, my wife's an avid gardener, and we, we have a great, beautiful apple tree, too. And, and for good apples to happen, you don't want tons of leaves. And there have been years we've had just this bumper crop of apples. They're amazing. And then other years, like this year, we had tons of leaves, but hardly any apples. And some of that's just kind of the natural year, you know, every other year kind of thing that happens with this tree. But but the reality is all these little kind of shooter branches happened over this last year. And those aren't ever going to have apples, but by gum, they love to grow leaves. And so all the power goes to the leaves. All the power goes to the show. All the power goes to saying, I'm doing the right thing, so God and this place and this church is supposed to love me because I did the right things and said the right things at the right time. I worshiped the right way. That's just leaves. Now, the best tomato plants we grow have enough leaves to bring some shade to individual tomatoes, but the tomatoes are where all the energy needs to go. We can have a luscious-looking garden and no fruit. And so we, we ask ourselves, is my life characterized by leaf or fruit? And one thing I need to, to, to remind us of is that like an apple tree, an apple isn't really the fruit of the apple tree. The goal of an apple tree and an apple, which is a seed carrier, is more apple trees. A natural, wild-growing apple orchard comes really from one tree. And the apples fall and seeds grow. And, and is that our life? Is it, is it to, to influence and impact the world around us in ways that more trees grow, not just, I look incredibly luscious with lots of apples? That's the fruit. No, the fruit is an impact. The fruit is, is changes that happen in the world around us because God is at work and, and, and we're participating in it. I find it fascinating that the, the way, I mean, we talked about the, the response of the, the religious leaders who really wanted to get rid of Jesus and they, they had no logical argument against him. But the, the passage on the fig tree and on the temple ends with this focus on prayer praying receptively, not, not the way Jesus would say the, the pagans do, which is to try to find a way to, to manipulate God into doing something you want, but to say, God, I'm, I'm open to your will. I'm open to how you're at work. How do I see you at work and how do you meet you there? How do, we, how do we pray receptively to who God is and how he wants to work? And in that, we're confident that what we ask for in his name, we ask for in his will, and we ask for, in other words, if we're praying God things, God, God's not going to be stingy. Look at James says, if you, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Why? Because wisdom is a God thing, and he loves to give it. 
If we ask to say, God, show us how you're at work. How, how do we see you at work? And this is our the emphasis last week. How do we see you at work in the world around us? He loves to give active. God, how have you made me? How have you wired me? What's the giftedness you've given? Help me to have the courage to live that way. And to step into that in this world. And an incredibly humbling, transparent, bury yourself naked prayer is... God, am I all leaf and no fruit? Because leaves are pretty. And it, and it often becomes very easy to stay there. And to stay there as a church. Are we leaf? Do, do we have the right things in place? Do we say the right words? Or are we bearing fruit by, by seeing the community around us dramatically changed? For Jesus. Not the temple, but Jesus. This is, this is a tough passage because we really like to keep this back in history. We love to see that image of Jesus at times. Wow, look what he did to those corrupt people. He went in there and with whips knocked things over. That was amazing. And she, oh, wait a second. I often come to the temple and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. I'm safe. And my life is often more characterized by leaf than fruit. So that's not just what Jesus did back then. It's what he's looking at me today going, hey, are you all leaf? Or are you fruit? This passage should shake us up. It does me. We're looking at this one coming up going, oh yeah, this, this, this passage shakes me up. Preach it today.